0: Hello everybody. Welcome to History Tea Time Chat Live. It's History Tea Time Chat Live, the first one of 2024. Welcome. I hope you've all had a lovely Christmas and the new year has kicked off well for you. So today we are going to talk about conspiracies. We're going to talk about the warming pan conspiracy. Sometimes known as the bed pan conspiracy, although I realise that means something different some places. So we're talking warming pan, the old-fashioned Thing used to fill with coal, stick in a bed, warm it up. That conspiracy. We're gonna go over that. But welcome. I'm streaming live on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Um, and welcome thank you for joining me live thank you if you're joining on the catch-up or if you're listening on the podcast you can find me on the podcast and all the catch-up channels as well if you don't manage to ever uh you know if you're missing a live hi Susan hi Amanda hi Anaga how are you doing uh watching over on YouTube I can see people joining on Instagram as well welcome I hope you are all really really well and I hope uh like I say that the uh the the new year is treating you well uh, so far. Hi, Deborah, how are you doing? So you can support me if you like on Instagram with badges, on Facebook with stars, YouTube with super chats. But of course, the way I would love for you to support me is via Patreon. Like AJ, Barb, Mimi, Jude, Julie, Renny, and Radamandil—not a real name, I think—but are um, they are they all joined Patreon over the Christmas break. Very excited to, to meet them and then be in my Patreon. If uh, if you're in there, remember we have Book Club this Sunday. We're talking about Tracy Borman's book, Anne Boleyn and Elizabeth I. And if you want to be part of Book Club, then you can absolutely join. Um, over on uh, Patreon, I should put this up, um, scrolling along the bottom of the screen on YouTube so you can all see. Um, uh, you can join me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash British History. Uh, for everyone, whether you're a patron or not, next week, so it'll be out a few weeks after, I am interviewing Elyrie Lynn, who wrote, well, she's written a number of brilliant books on uh, fashion history, um, and I'm speaking to her specifically about fashion at the Tudor court so I'm interviewing her next week and some of the, my patrons have very kindly given me extra questions to ask her which is always a, a bit of a bonus a bit of a benefit should I say of being a patron um so I will be speaking to her next week and I will let you know next week when that is uh coming out so uh that will be something to look forward to if you haven't already seen and you think you might be interested have a look at sex and the Tudors that's the latest interview that's out on my um oh I don't think it's on the podcast so I need to upload it to the podcast uh but that is on definitely on YouTube so youtube.com forward slash British history if you're not uh following me there already and that's so Tudors well sex in Tudor England and that's with Leslie Smith very very interesting chat all about women's health and and and, and uh and Reproduction. Reproduction. Uh so hello Beverly, Melissa, and Argo again. Oh, your mum didn't know who Amberlynn Elizabeth Elizabeth First was. Wow. Oh, she didn't know that it was Elizabeth First Mum. Right. Uh Linda, hi, how are you doing? And MJ. No one's got good weather by this look of it. Everyone's either cold or in the rain. I don't mind if it gets cold in the winter. This is okay, but not the rain, not the rain. That's because I don't like insects, and when we get to next summer, there'll be lots of midges and bitey things, and they love me. So, let's get on with this. So, any of you have have any of you heard of the warming pan conspiracy? You might you might have heard of it when I get going on it, and tell you more about it. So, this is. A conspiracy. I think I titled this uh, stream on um, on YouTube and Facebook, The Birth Which Led to a Revolution. Now, we'll go into it a little bit about whether it did actually kick off a, uh, a revolution or not. But we're in 1688. Now, on the 10th of June, 1688, a baby boy was born at St. James's Palace to the then Queen uh, of England and Scotland, Mary of Modena. She was the wife of James II. So to avoid confusion this is James II of England and Ireland who was James Seventh of Scotland. Has that cleared anything up? Probably not but when I'm speaking about King James this is the guy we're talking about. And up until the birth of his son by Mary of Modena his, uh, his heirs were his two daughters by his first marriage and his nephew. So Mary and Anne were his daughters and they were his daughters by his first marriage to a lady called Anne Hyde. She died in 1671. He'd remarried Mary of Modena um, and we'll get on to, to what happened with their marriage. But his heirs up till the 10th of June 1688, when this baby boy is born, his heirs are his daughters, Mary and Anne and his nephew, William of Orange. Now, uh, his eldest daughter, Mary, had married William of Orange in 1677 at St. James's Palace as well. There's a lot that goes on at St. James's Palace at this point. The couple lived in William's homeland, the Netherlands, uh, of which he, so he'd ruled there. He's actually William III of Orange, and he had ruled there um, from birth, or obviously had the, the title of, the position of, because his father had died of smallpox just over a week before he was born. And when he married Mary, she was Princess Mary, she was seven, sorry, she, excuse me, she was 15, he was 37. Um, and she conceived quickly, but she miscarried. Then she became ill the following year and she's not known to have conceived again. Mary's younger sister is Anne, Princess Anne. She would become Queen Anne in the end, although that's not uh, something we're covering today. She married George, Prince of Denmark, um, in 1683, again at St. James's. So, And by the time that her younger half-brother was born, she'd actually lost six children, four to miscarriages or stillbirths, and um, she lost two daughters to the smallpox. And that smallpox actually also really affected her husband, George. He, he had health difficulties for the rest of his life um, as a result of catching smallpox. Um, so, um, and Anne had actually already had smallpox, so this is why she got away with that. Um, she, she didn't get ill in that bout of it. So the birth of this new baby boy, legitimate baby boy, to their father, the reigning King James II, um, really, that should have been a relief for the succession, because Mary had married, but didn't, wasn't conceiving, and Anne was married, but was her children? She, you know, again, she was losing children. There isn't actually at this point um, uh, anyone further than that through the, through his daughters. Um, so, just to step back a little bit. You've got James, who had become king at the death of his brother, Charles II. Um, Charles II, despite having multiple mistresses and despite having multiple children, died with no legitimate heir. And so, um, and so he, uh, he, James became king when he died, uh, when Charles died on the 6th of February, 1685. Remembering, of course, their father, Charles I, had been executed. And if you want to know how, uh, I did a video actually about how uh, Charles I came to be executed in terms of the charges laid against him, which were those of treason. I've got a whole video on that. The interesting part of that is the loops uh, that had to be jumped through, created, and then jumped through in order to try a king for treason when treason is the act that actually is designed to protect the king. But anyway, so that that's a separate video. If you want to watch that, I will pop the link uh, to that into the uh, into the show notes when I remember. So the um, the the they brought back obviously Charles as Charles II in sixteen sixty. The landscape the landscape had become very um, uh, uh, Anglican Protestant. You know the, 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 that that was the state religion. But Charles and his brother James had been exiled in France, which is a Catholic country. Their mother Henrietta Maria is Catholic. Um, Now, Charles II trod the line. Um, he, uh, He clearly had Catholic persuasions and he converted to Catholicism on his deathbed. His brother, however, um, James, he had, it was, it was well known that he was absolutely definitely a Catholic. He hadn't taken Anglican community, community, and excuse me, for 13 years by the time that he became uh, king. And the second Sunday after he became king, he heard mass at St. James's palace. So, where Charles had been happy to uh, ignore maybe his uh, his principles to maintain favour and uh, not rock, not rock the boat. Bearing in mind, of course, he is he is managing a post Reformation um, situation here. Uh, so he, he so Charles had been almost more pragmatic with that. Um, James, however. Like I say, he heard mass within, what, uh, well, the second Sunday after he'd become king, Catholic mass, and by May of the same year, so only a few months after he'd become king, he had commissioned Sir Christopher Wren to rebuild the Queen's lodgings at Whitehall Palace and create, uh, a construct a Roman Catholic church there. A Catholic in the position of head of the Anglican church, which is what the monarch was, was... Um, uh, obviously brings about ideological conflicts but in addition to that more practical terms it affects court ceremony which is uh intertwined and linked with church ceremony um so so that causes many problems or and concerns Add to that, you've got James's daughters, Anne and Mary. Well, Mary's out of the country by now. She's obviously married to William, and they're in the Netherlands. Anne has stayed, and Anne is um, Anne and Mary are both Protestant, brought up as Protestants by the on the orders of their uncle, who had been the king at the time of their childhood, Charles. So the, Mary and Anne are brought up as Protestants. So that's why you have the daughters of James II as Protestants, and um, uh, and yet, their father James is 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 a Catholic, an open open Catholic when it's not accepted or acceptable as as far as the establishment are concerned. Um, and Anne is at Whitehall; she's actually living in uh, apartments created from the cockpit that Henry VIII. Uh, had built at Whitehall. So you've got these two competing contradictory forms of worship still going on. James can't whole scale move everything back to Catholicism because too much of his court including that uh, of his daughter are uh, a Protestant and still um, and a practicing Protestants and are definitely not going to change their mind. So you've got unease and unrest growing um in in, in the establishment like I say and beyond. Um, and Anne. Would remain Protestant. She was very disapproving of her father and her stepmother's Catholicism. Um, So, but so let's go on. James's queen, so his second wife, Mary of Modena. Modena, um, When they married in 1673, she was only 15; he was 40. They do seem to have got on very well, actually, as does um, Mary II and William III, even with their almost identical age gap. But by the time James II becomes king. They have lost 10 children. They have no surviving children, so should I say, and they had lost 10. Um, the eldest child uh, to survive, well, th- th- reached the age of four, um, a girl named Isabel. So they looked like they were having the same reproductive challenges that James's daughters were having, that Mary and Anne were having. Um and so for all the issues that um that James's catholicism was bringing um worst case scenario was we've just got to wait for James at the end of James's life then then we can get back uh control um, proper uh in, in terms of protestant terms of following the protestant religion because his daughter's mary his uh um uh, Mary and Anne a Protestant and I don't know if I emphasized enough that Mary had married William of Orange and I don't think I mentioned so that's now so William of Orange becomes his son-in-law of course he's already his nephew Mary the second and William the third well William second of England excuse me Mary the second of England and William the third of Orange are first cousins decide just, so <sighs> just make that point So very odd, his own nephew becomes his son-in-law. Anyway, there you go. That's the way these things uh, happened at this point and maybe didn't help with the reproductive challenges. Although Anne had her own, they had their own. Um, So when Queen Mary, Mary of Modena, Modena fell pregnant again, so for the 11th time, the second half of 1687, it, actually, the couple's reproductive record doesn't seem to have dampened concerns at all, and th- because the serious concern here was what well, Mary hasn't got any children, Anne hasn't got any children. Um, if this pregnancy produces a boy and he survives, then the the Catholic succession we're going to have a continued Catholic succession because clearly James. Now his king is going to bring up any new children that he has uh, as Catholics. So, um, so you ha- so the succession it, in one way it would have been secured, but it would have been a Catholic one, um, and it would, have, of course, supplanted that a boy would supplant uh, James's daughters and his nephew, stroke son-in-law, uh, in the, in the succession. So the scrutiny around the royal birth was intense. There was unfounded and spurious rumours from from the moment that the pregnancy uh, supposedly, from the moment the pregnancy was announced, uh, that actually it was a fake pregnancy. The Queen wasn't, isn't actually, you know, pregnant at all. She's faking it, and they're going to smuggle in another baby. So, like I say, the scrutiny around this particular royal birth was intense and the queen not that this was unusual but still I imagine not comfortable was obliged to have witnesses at the birth um and of course so 10th of June 1688 a baby boy was born and he was healthy it he was full term um so his birth from the from parliament and the protestant faction of, 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 uh, of of court but also far beyond um was dismay there there was dismay and those those spurious rumors turned into pointed accusations um that the boy was not the real son of James that um you know the boy had been smuggled in swapped maybe for a stillborn or just but you know because you can start to tell how made up it is when um the lies themselves or the, the the accusations themselves don't marry up you know it was she pregnant at all was it a stillbirth you know etc etc they don't marry up but the king was obliged to set up an inquiry to investigate the legitimacy of his own baby boy um i'm pretty sure he was under no question at all that this baby boy was his but he set up this inquiry for it nevertheless um and during this there's Numerous eyewitness testimonies. Like I say, she ha- uh, Mary of Modena was um uh, obliged to have witnesses at the birth, which uh, originally they wanted it was going to happen at Whitehall, but she changed that to St. James's Palace. I know someone's asked me about St. James's Palace, so yeah, maybe I'll do a a, a particular video on, on St. James's. um Which, of course, St. James's was built as a nursery palace. It was like uh, the idea was uh, brought about by Anne Boleyn and Henry, and this was going to be the nursery palace for the son they were going to have. Um, which obviously didn't happen. So, so like I say, at this inquiry into the baby, the baby James, he's also called James, uh, there are numerous eyewitness testimonies given. And there's a small, insignificant detail shared by one of the midwives, and it's seized upon to try and prove or at least cast enough doubt that this boy was a changeling, literally been changed over. Margaret Dawson reported that at some point during labour, not even birth, this is during labour, a warming pan had been brought in and used to to warm the Queen's uh, mattress, they called it, but um, to warm the Queen's bed effectively to make her more comfortable. Now, a warming pan, if anyone hasn't seen is literally uh imagine a deep pan with a lid and a long uh handle which you'd put coal coals into them or something you know that that come off the fire and it would warm the metal they're made of metal they warm the metal you put them under the sheets warm up the bed you know, it's not like a hot water bottle you wouldn't you don't cuddle it that would be bad um but you you know you've bought it that's how you would warm up the bed um, and so the warming pan conspiracy was born because this warming pan had been brought into the room when, oh, thank you, Jean, uh, Jeannie, thank you, Jean, Jean, ah, <laughs> That's like I was, sorry, half reading it. Um, so this warming pan had been brought into the room while she's laboring and, um, and clearly then there must've been a baby in there clearly. And if you go along the stillborn idea that she'd she'd given birth, but it was unfortunately the baby had died. Well, then that would be how you'd smuggle the, uh, the baby out. Or maybe it was a girl. And then that she also would have to be smuggled out. But the baby had come in, in the warming pan, clearly, clearly. Um, so, um, so that so the, anyway, so that is the the warming uh How does it lead to uh to revolution? Well, there's plenty of plenty of people at court who wanted to speed up the accession of James's nephew, William of Orange. Uh, like I say, actually would have been third in line to the throne had he not have married James's daughter Mary, his eldest daughter Mary. But as he's um uh married Mary, they become. Uh, he sort of gets bumped up <laughs> the line of succession. So ostensibly, I suppose it'd be Mary, but by virtue of being uh, his—excuse uh, me—her husband, and Mary not really being that interested in wanting to rule. By the way, she—if she could have had, apparently, if she could have had a little shack somewhere, a, a little countryside cottage with a cow to milk, and some woolen cloth to wear in the winter—and she would have been, she would have been happy. So, but there was plenty at court who who wanted to bring on that accession quicker, sooner rather than later. Now, of course, there's a spanner in the works because this baby boy, baby uh, Prince James has been born. Legitimate, healthy, a boy. So, um, uh, yes. So anyway, so we get to there. So those Rumours, assertions even, are not only repeated, well, sorry, are repeated confidently by the new baby boy's half-sister, Princess Anne, daughter of James II, in a, in a, in a letter to her sister Mary. William c- catches hold of this rumour. There seems to be a lot of, um, it suited people to believe this rumour so they just, pretend. I I think, pretended you know, to believe this rumour. Well, it's a changeling, it's absolutely a changeling, and therefore everything I do is justified based on that. So William of Orange justifies uh, here, uh, a, a, effectively an invasion of England. Um, and he invades England in November 1688. So it's it's, it's supposed to be by invitation, um, but he lands in Brixham, um, MJ, yes, it would have had to be a very small baby. Yes, there are, there are holes in this, uh, in this conspiracy theory, <laughs> uh, most definitely. So yeah, uh, William lands at Brixham and he brings troops, uh, you know, he brings, uh, a, a, a Navy, he brings ships. This is the idea that it's a smooth transition. Yeah. Anyway, um, but James, with his two daughters clearly against him, Mary obviously is going to support her husband. Anne is supporting the conspiracy that this baby isn't uh, isn't real or isn't a, isn't his son. He fle- he flees to uh, he flees England to France, where his his son and, and baby have gone. So the baby, by the convention of the time would have been next in line to the throne when his father dies he would have been james the third of england but that baby boy grows up with no experience or or uh, memories of england at all uh he is the one derided as the old pretender uh in jacobean uprisings of 17 1715 um during in response to the reign to of George I, George of Hanover, Georg really, of Hanover, who takes over um when the last of the Stuarts dies, James, James II's daughter, uh Anne. Well say Last of the Stuarts. He, he's still there. <laughs> James is still alive. Um uh no he's not is he? One of them is. James has a son who you may is, is a uh, Couple of sons, one of whom you may know as Bonnie Prince Charlie. So that's Bonnie Prince Charlie, is the grandson of James II. Um, he also leads um, an uprising against, uh, or uh, an invasion against, uh, against the Georgians, against the Hanoverians. Um, that is also suppressed. Uh, when now, I said there's there's two sons. So Bonnie Prince Charlie, you'll have probably heard about. He, he, he also had a brother, so this baby James went on to have two two children: Bonnie Prince Charlie and uh, his younger brother Henry Benedict Stuart. Uh, he was he was a religious man. He became a cardinal in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and so, uh, but from so he was actually the last of the line because Bonnie Prince Charlie died without children. Um, now what I might might interest you is that. Um, well, I'll tell you, James II is, uh, was buried in the English uh, Church of the English Benedictines in Paris, but his son James, so this baby James that started this all off, he is actually buried in St. Peter's Basilica, Rome, as are Bonnie Prince Charlie and his brother Henry Benedict. So that line actually lived out on the continent till 1807. Um, with the final, the the death of Henry Benedict Stuart, the cardinal, who obviously wouldn't have had children. So, um, yeah, so the Warming Pan conspiracy. So there is debate whether, well, did that actually lead to the glorious, this, so this revolution is the glorious revolution, so-called, um, did that actually lead to it? Well, m- maybe not. But it was a, it was certainly a catalyst for william invading and taking the throne earlier than was planned if you like because he was down or they they w- he would have succeeded james had james have died without heir so um i hope you enjoyed that i was looking forward to it. i i i like oh, well, like that story it's a bit of an odd story i feel very Sorry for Mary of Modena. I think she was maligned a lot. Um, And, um, but I'm very glad for her that she had a surviving uh, child in the end. And I think they had another uh, daughter as well after that on the continent. But yeah, they all died out over on the continent and have got, well, three of them have got a very, very grand uh, final resting place. Um, thank you so much to everyone. Um, this bought super stickers and yeah, I like this would have been, yes, would have been a very, very small baby and the outrage at, Hey, how dare someone be comfortable during labor indeed. Isn't it, isn't it just, well, it was clearly like it, through all the testimonies that were given and that was the bit it was, it was just opportunistic, um, to pick out that bit and go, Oh, well, clearly. Clearly, a baby has got smuggled in here because there was a there was a receptacle for it. I mean, like <laughs> as MJ says, it would have to have been a very small baby. Um, I don't know if it was very effective at warming up the bed. I'm joking, of course. But yeah, I'll, I'll maybe look into doing a um, a video on St James's. Perhaps I will do that as a Patreon. Video, um, Linda says. I believe I read just yesterday that St James's is, is being opened more regularly for tourists. Is that true? I don't know. I haven't. Uh, I haven't seen it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not been said. Um, but that would be great. It was fascinating seeing the inside of St James's Palace, of course, at the accession of um, King Charles III to actually see inside and see the accession council happening there. That was that was incredible, wasn't it? Um, uh, Melissa yes How could the first cousins marry Yeah dispensation um, Well no there's no need for a dispensation From the Pope because they weren't Catholic um, But well, I don't know how that came about Other than It was It was a match that Everyone seemed happy with For some reason um, But I did Yes, I mean what we. I mean, I, I was about to say what we know about reproductive health and the gene pool, but I think they had an idea of that as well. Um, yeah. Amanda says probably would have warmed it nicely. <laughs> right, how long would this baby have had to wait in the in the pan as well, being really quiet while she's still giving birth to? or pretending to give birth to, or giving birth to the stillborn baby, I I mean clearly it doesn't add up, but the vigour with which Princess Anne um, believes, or pretends to, or does believe this story is quite staggering, there is a great biography of Queen Anne by Anne Somerset, um, if you're on Facebook or YouTube, and in the show notes I've put details of that book, and I was uh, maybe shock's not the right word, I was taken aback by how adamant uh, and, or how committed to pretending, or like I say, or actually believing this c- clearly <laughs> made up conspiracy theory um, for the sake of religion was quite staggering. For her, her, her religion most certainly came above her um, her family ties, and well, father i mean this is her father and her father was supposedly heartbroken uh that his daughters had um uh you know had um uh, gone against gone against him um so yeah i have uh a few videos on on things related to this so i i i remember i will pop that uh, i'll pop oh, i'll i'll pop those links in the uh in the show notes so um you can uh, find me live again tonight. So I'll tell you about this. Some of you are History After Dark uh, hadders. You are History hadders. If you're not, then please do come and join us tonight. We're History underscore after hun- underscore dark, excuse me, on YouTube. Uh, we are on Facebook. Uh, excuse me. We are on Instagram, history.after.dark. But we are uh, just go there to find links to, to our shows this year so last year 2023 was the year of the deceased git and we went through 26 candidates for git of the year and we went through why there were gits or why maybe they weren't and some turned out not to be as gittish as we thought and they all got a score and we had a deceased git league table 2024 is the year of the history hero they will get the same treatment Why are they considered heroes? And then let's actually have a look and see uh, whether they are heroes or not. And tonight we are beginning with the one who not only survived but thrived, Anne of Cleves, Henry VIII's Fourth wife, the one who you'd like at the negotiation table if you're going through a divorce. Apparently, so we're going to be um, we're going to be looking at Anna of Cleves tonight. So if you want to join us for that, like I say, eight. Wait, well, I didn't I don't know if I did tell you the time. Eight fifteen tonight, UK time. Please work that out where what time that is where you are. History underscore after underscore dark channel on uh, on YouTube. I think you can just go into YouTube and search for History After Dark. And uh, that is already scheduled, so you can click there for a notification when we go live. And I'll be there with Dr. Kat and with Catherine. So this is our first, that first one of 2024 as well. Um. So Melanie says, I've never heard this story before. As an American, I need to learn more about 18th and 17th century monarchs. Uh, well, so I can maybe help you out there a little bit. So we have... Uh, is it biannual when something happens twice in a year? Twice a year, we create online history festivals uh, and we have done three so far. We've done the Stuarts, we've done the Georgians. Obviously, the Stuarts come under what we're talking about today. Um, Not that this particular story was in there, but uh, then we've done the Georgians, which overlaps with the Stuarts. And then we have done the Tudors and we are about to do a Stuart's return as well at the end of March. But if you miss those online history festivals and you would like to uh, see the talks, you can still do that. You can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Philippa, P A, and you can buy the bundles of talks. Or alternatively, if you are going to come to the next online history festival, you can go to the Stewarts, S, spelled Stuarts spell S T U A R T S 2024.eventbrite.co.uk. And as an add-on to your ticket for that, you can buy any or all or two out of three, whatever, talk bundles from those online history festivals. And we've had amazing speakers, talk on them. Um uh, uh Sorry, I was just the video I did on Anne and Henry's divorce. Oh, thank you. So I did one about the love letters as well. Was that, is that that one? Um, uh, so yeah, and now I've got the Stuarts has had two sections because of the interregnum. See what you did there. Nice, nice. So we have Dr. Alice Hunt talking about the interregnum on the one coming up. Just to segue into that. Uh, but we've had people like Gareth Russell. Gareth Russell has spoken on everyone. He's speaking on the next one actually as well. He's give, doing a talk about James the First, wife Anne of Denmark. Um, we've had Tracy Borman speak on the last three. Uh, uh, Professor James um, uh, uh, Clark talking about the dissolution of the monasteries. Uh, Doctor Cap Marchant talking on all sorts of things, including on one and the Georgians. Ben Knuckle boxing uh, and. Um, oh SJ so SJ, the real cause of the divorce sorry I know where you are now yes so Anne of Cleves and Henry VIII's um divorce my interview with um with Heather Darcy yes sorry I'm with you now so yes Anne of Cleves sorry back to Anne of Cleves jumping about here a little bit but um if you're interested I I will warn you Heather has parrots and they are jealous when she talks on the on the phone or on on uh, we were on zoom so if you can listen and try and ignore the parrots then it's a incredibly interesting interview um so yes anyway so yes if you if you're interested in any of those talks you can buy them as a bundle i've kept the price really low um so that it's as accessible to as many people as possible if you're a patron remember that with the the uh the next online history festival, you of course get discounted tickets. Um, because why not? Uh so I think that's about it for now. If you again, if you're a patron, remember we've got book club on Sunday evening. If you're not a patron and you'd like to be in book club, come along and join patreon.com forward slash British History. We would love to see you there. Um uh, says, uh I'd like to see who plays devil's advocate. What makes last year's Git as a hero this year? <laughs> so what we didn't do last year, which we realised, was ever really summarise why each candidate was considered a Git. So this this year for History Heroes, we're going to just do a little summary as to why he- these people are considered heroes and then we'll delve in to um, to what they were really like. And we'll make our, our assessment of them. So I'm sure they'd be very happy with. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, cool. So, um, oh, and yes, so I think I've said everything else. So, yeah, get your tickets for Stuart's Online History Festival. If that's up your street, you can get hold of the talk bundles. If you want to go on their own, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Philippa and buy them there, or you can get them as an add-on to your ticket. Join me for Had tonight. We're talking about Anna Cleves, uh, along with Dr. Kat, obviously, and Catherine Ibbotson. Um, if you want Book Club, that's in Patreon as well, and I'll see you Sunday night. And uh, if you're interested in a bit of Sex and Tudor England, then check that out on uh, YouTube, and I will get that uploaded to the podcast as well. So... Thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining me back on my first live of 2024. I hope to see you tonight. Or if not, I will see you next week where we're going to be talking about the coronation of Elizabeth I. Okay. All right, then, everybody. I'll see you really soon. Bye. Bye, everyone.